This video is brought to you by Devout Decals, makers of reusable Catholic art for your home altar, your bedroom, and your home classroom. We have an incredible piece of breaking news here that hit the church late on Saturday night but then developed a bit on Sunday while most Catholics were simply not paying attention because it was Sunday. Francis is going to fundamentally change the rules of the conclave that elects the next Roman pontiff, a change that many will immediately say will invalidate the process. Certainly, if this story turns out to be accurate, then we will see a response to it from the likes of Cardinals Mueller, Burke, and bishops like Vigano, Schneider, and maybe even Strickland. If anything is capable of pushing the church into schism, it's this story here. Although, to remember, those of us who keep to the way things always have been won't be the schismatics. Headline from The Pillar. Pope Francis looks at synodal reforms to papal election process. The headline should be ominous for anyone watching this. If you're wondering if he's going to invalidate the process, well, maybe. But what he's proposing here isn't Catholic in the slightest and may push some bishops towards that schism that Francis predicted he would incite. Of course, he's the actual schismatic, which is hard to fathom given that the world accepts him as the Pope, but here we are, wandering through uncharted waters. Anyway, from the article, quote, Pope Francis has delegated Cardinal Gianfranco Ghirlanda to develop draft revisions to the papal election process in light of the approach to dialogue used during the Synod on Synodality, according to sources close to the Vatican's Secretariat of State. In a move that could be see questions raised by members of the Church's College of Cardinals, the Pope has reportedly asked a senior-ranking canon lawyer to develop possible amendments to University Dominici Gregis. Pope St. John Paul II's 1996 Apostolic Constitution, governing the events surrounding the death of a pope and the election of a successor in a conclave. According to sources familiar with the discussions, there are two key reforms under consideration for the papal election process. Both pertain to the general congregations of cardinals, which precede the voting process for a new pope. During general congregations, which all cardinals are expected to attend, the plans for the conclave election process are fixed, administrative issues are dealt with, and cardinals are afforded the opportunity to offer speeches, typically limited to seven minutes, on their own perspectives regarding needs and issues in the life of the church. In the past, general congregations are regarded as a final and important opportunity for cardinals to get to know one another and to assess prospective candidates for election to the papacy. Vatican analysts have said in recent years that general congregations will likely be regarded as especially important by cardinals ahead of the next papal conclave, because there have been very few consistories, which are gatherings of cardinals in Rome, during the Francis papacy. According to senior sources, one proposed change would limit general congregations to the cardinals eligible to participate in the conclave election, those under 80 years of age. The other perspective change would reportedly modify the format of the general congregation, limiting the opportunity for speeches to the whole college of cardinals, which would be replaced by sessions of similar style to the synod of synodality, in which participants sit at tables, round tables of 10 or so participants for spiritual conversations followed by reports to the entire assembly summarizing those table discussions, end quote. 
That means the better bishops who are mostly approaching 80 years of age in the next year or two can't even participate in the process at all. Normally, they can't vote for the next pope upon reaching 80, but here they'd be locked out of even the discussion process itself. Presumably, they'd not even be permitted into the room with the cardinals participating. But that's not the part that could invalidate the whole process, though. Synodal listening sessions during the conclave and locking out the cardinals who are aged out are, it's kind of a goofy sounding and corrupt principle, but they're not the problem. This is the real problem here. Quote, Senior Roman clergy have told the pillar that there have also been rumors that Pope Francis has considered the idea of inviting lay people to participate in general congregations, which precede the actual conclave voting sessions of cardinals. But the pillar has been unable to confirm whether that idea has actually been seriously discussed in the Vatican. End quote. Someone else was able to confirm it and worse, because Diane Montagna, reporting for the remnant, gives us this whopper of a story, quote, The remnant has also learned that Cardinal Gerlanda is seeking to convince Pope Francis to undertake a truly revolutionary act by revolutionizing who elects the Pope. Professing to, quote, return to the early church, the idea would be to have cardinal electors, the majority of whom Pope Francis has chosen, comprise 75% of the vote, while the remaining 25% would be made up of laymen and women and religious sisters, papally appointed by Pope Francis in advance of the Apostolic See becoming vacant. If promulgated, the document would widely be seen as representing an ecclesial and theological upheaval of papal elections. While Pope Francis is said to be intent on reforming the papal conclave in a more synodal style, we are told he has not yet given a definitive yes to the document which, if promulgated, will surely meet with considerable resistance from the members of the Sacred College. End quote. Laity voting in the conclave. Laity. The worst catechized generation in history. Think about that. Even better, it's hand-picked laity to comprise 25% of the vote, chosen by Francis himself. No doubt they'll come from the peripheries, meaning Latin America and other places, where Francis can reliably be sure that they'll be tainted by liberation theology and ensure that he's going to be followed by a Francis II. The only reason to do this is to fulfill his darkest of all promises, that his reforms would be irreversible. He said that, and it's been repeated by his followers in the media endlessly. While it's not true that any reform is irreversible, including those imposed by an ecumenical council, it's worth pointing out here that this would all but guarantee we get Francis II. This reminds me of a prophecy once spoken of by the late Father Gregory Hess, one that many of you won't like. Father Hess spoke about how the message of Our Lady of La Salette was censored by Rome, and only partially revealed. He had been made aware of the contents of the censored portion of the message of La Salette, which spoke of two worm-ridden popes, language which sounds like, if true, that heaven was warning the faithful of two evil men the world accepts as pope men evil beyond imagine, because remember, we're talking about the loss of souls here. Father Hess believed, and here's where you won't like this, that the two worm-ridden popes were Paul VI and John Paul II. And again, I know that rubs many of you the wrong way. But he didn't get to see much of Francis's tenure before he passed away himself. One wonders what he would think of Francis and his synodal church. Now, I have no reason to doubt Father Hess's claim that he was made aware, he was made aware of that censored portion of the message of La Salette, or that it's actually authentic. 
and of the possibility that Francis is going to use the power given to him by the cardinals to ensure that the next pope is someone like him, or, if it's even conceivable, someone worse than him. Some time ago, I noted that Francis appears to be accelerating what he is doing to the church. There are two reasons for this, I think. The first and most logical is that Francis is in and out of surgery multiple times a year now. He's getting older, and his time may be limited. He may also be with us until he reaches 100 years of age, though that's doubtful. Only God really knows how long Francis has left to inflict his secularization and Protestantization program on the church. But the other reason is this. While I have a great many differences on matters of theology with Pope Benedict XVI, it really does appear that Benedict was acting at the very least like some kind of a catechon, which is a theological term for a force that binds and protects the church, and by extension, the world, from evil. Italian journalist and writer Antonio Socci posits that Benedict XVI was a sort of catechon, maybe not the one hinted at in the final chapters of sacred scripture, but a catechon nonetheless. His premise for that is simple. Benedict was in the way of the secular rulers, who promoted evil works against the apostolic churches in various forms, including in the promotion of vice and sin all through Eastern Europe, and they do it out in the open, and who very likely used their influence to essentially force Benedict XVI to resign. And they did that in the open, too. All you have to do is go back to the things that happened in the lead-up to his resignation. Mr. Sochi lays the case out for this in his book, The Secret of Benedict XVI. Is he still Pope? It's a bit dated now, given that Benedict passed away last year, but the premise is straightforward. Even the secular authorities see uh, in Benedict a, a barrier to their ability to achieve their goals of fully secularizing humanity. And I say that as someone who has a great many theological differences with him. Not merely Benedict, but the little o orthodox Christianity in general. Hence the work of secular authorities in Eastern Europe and as a force of moral degradation in the world more broadly, especially in the past 15 years or so, in a time frame that shows that whatever it is they're up to in their war against the faith, they've been accelerating their work, and as such, Benedict was just in the way. That's Sochi's theory, and I think it should be taken very seriously. I think that could explain why Francis is accelerating what he is doing, and has obviously been since the passing of Benedict XVI. Remember, he's running the program he said the people who put him on the throne of Peter wanted him to. Once it became apparent that Benedict XVI didn't have much time left on this earth, the church had inflicted upon it traditionis custodis and open discussions about the synod changing doctrine and reforming even the fundamental governance structures of the church, which then allows doctrine to be changed. It's been obvious that something in the church changed in the past year or more, where Francis's program began accelerating. I notice it even here as someone who tries to bring to your attention the most pertinent stories in the church for the day. I've had to resort to nearly daily live streams to keep up on the news from Rome, and frankly, it's why things are only likely to get worse from here, which is why shameless self-plug, but if you've thought about becoming a channel member or patron of this channel, now's a pretty good time to do it as to help st support what this work that we do here because the news isn't going to stop anytime soon and is probably going to keep accelerating and accelerating and accelerating. <sighs> what do you think of this story? Can you see Francis fixing the conclave by putting laity into the conclave process? Do you think it'll be limited to speaking in the synodal dialogue sessions at the conclave? Or do you think that the remnant is right and that they'll be given the right to vote for the next pontiff in a truly revolutionary act? Do you think in that case that the laity will be cut from the same modernist cloth as Francis and the German bishops? Let me know in the comments, please.
Like and subscribe if you haven't. It does help, so to sharing this on social media. That helps a lot, too. As always, pray for the church. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.